0: There are certain Sundays where, uh, in more than the usual way, attention is drawn to the pastor and I realize that this weekend that's the case for me with the wedding yesterday and then a whole bunch of you here today here because you love Michael um, and therefore you probably also love my wife and me and all our family and I want to tell you that I'm very grateful for your love. Um, The treasures that are here in terms of the encouragement of my life, are more than I can pass over without calling your attention to them. And there are some of you will be offended that I, maybe that I don't recognize you, but I'd like to single out two people this morning, two couples, and uh, honor them publicly. And one of them is uh, Jack Phillippe and his wife, uh, Deborah, and I'd like you to stand. Um... Jack was the pastor of the Baptist Church where I was in Wisconsin. And Jack had a job at that church that was much like the job that I had at my former church. It wasn't a fun place to be. Um, And Jack and Deborah lived and loved the people and uh, were brothers and sisters to us. Jack and Deborah then went through a time where their marriage got very, very rocky. And I think you were even apart for a time, weren't you? And Jack and Deborah today testify, and with their sons, who have grown to be uh, much more handsome than they were as little boys, uh, <laughs> and they've grown in godliness because uh, they make no bones about the fact that God was merciful to them into their marriage, and they love each other, and I want to encourage any of you having trouble in your marriage, that God is faithful to us when we have trouble in our marriage. And uh, the Lord was faithful. Anyhow, Jack has been a great encouragement to me. You have, too. But I love your husband, and I'm very happy that you're here, and you're some of my heroes. So thank you for coming. Thank you, dear brother. And they also brought me a whole bunch of bagels from Bagels Forever in Madison. So I'm very happy. I ate for yes, last night. And then Don and Evelyn Jarrett. I love them so much. And I'm always so happy when you're here. That's what I'll say about you. (laughs) Stand up up there so they know who you are. Every time I introduce Evelyn, she gets angry at me because I introduce her as one of my women elders. And she's just so ashamed because she thinks it's wrong. And she thinks I'm shaming her. But I'm not shaming her because the Lord used Evelyn to cause my heart to repent of my complicity in the paganism of my denomination. And she, when I tried to discourage her from resigning as a, as a woman elder, she refused and she went ahead and resigned. And I was her pastor. And I was trying to keep her from doing it. And she went ahead and she resigned. And all of a sudden, her husband began to take spiritual leadership. He'd never been willing to do that in the church before. And then, Don and Evelyn began to just be such a strength to my wife and me. When we had fights and we needed counsel, we'd go out to their house. One time we sat in their driveway for probably half an hour, 45 minutes, fighting as they waited inside the door for us to come in. (laughs) And um, Don... Uh, became an elder for the first time when his wife resigned. Ding dong. You know, do you get it? Anyhow, he he became an elder, and then the Lord used him to go around and to lovingly rebuke the farmers and their children in the neighborhood who despise God, and yet were listed on the rolls of our church, because that's a habit in mainline denominations. And some of these people were people Don had grown up with He rented their land, they rented his. He bought their father's land. And Don would go and lovingly but firmly explain to them that they could not consider themselves Christians if they were not involved in coming into worship. And you might think, well, what's the point of that? Well, it's exceedingly important because a church should never be a marrying and burying place. And that's what this was to them. And uh, Don... And Evelyn uh, served the Lord. Evelyn said to me, I'm afraid that once I resign as an elder, the church will, will despise me and I'll never be able to serve the Lord in this church again. And so the Lord answered her request and gave her a mother who had her leg amputated because of diabetes and was at home in the living room. And Evelyn was never again able to serve the Lord in the church because she was at home every single Sunday caring for her mother. And you can imagine the impact of that on our church. As our women saw Evelyn, she had a bell, and she shook the bell. In the night, she'd get up and go to her mother. Her mother had terrible phantom pain. And for how many years, I want to say, how many? A a About a year and a half, she was in their bedroom. And Evelyn slept in a bed in the, in the living room. And then Evelyn felt that the Lord was calling her to do something more. So Evelyn invited all the women of the church to drop their children off at her home as they went to women's Bible study. Okay? And Dawn, a critical congregational meeting where all of the godless in that church decided that they were going to, to take the church back from Jesus Christ. Don stu- stood up and he spoke. And he spoke for God and with no pride. And the Lord, after that after that congregational meeting, the Lord drove that church down to one Sunday, I think there were 45 people there. And then the church began to grow. But you had to go down before you came back up, you know? And so, in a way that I know some of you would wonder, but... This is now 15, 20 years ago, but in a way that I want you to understand, I honor Don and Evelyn Jared. They are my heroes. If I write a book about people in churches, many of you would be there, but none of you would hold the position that Don and Evelyn Jared do. The godliness of Don and Evelyn is something that my heart is so grateful for. God bless you. I remember after I'd been here about a year and things were about as bad as they could be at my church, they came and visited us one Sunday and we were sitting at the table. (laughs) And I'm just looking down at the other end of the table and there are Don and Evelyn. I just started crying. I was like, where are they here? (laughs) Okay. Don't ever think that a church is built on pastors. It's not built on pastors. It's built on the leaders of the church. And when a church becomes built on a pastor... He should be shot. I'm serious. Because as soon as the pastor dies, you know the old saying, love, love build on beauty, soon as beauty dies. Church build on pastor, soon as pastor dies. You understand what I'm saying? Martin Lloyd-Jones did not raise up men and women in his church who would assure the future of his church. Every man has failings, and that was Lloyd-Jones' failing. And so now that church today has and has for a long time had a pastor who is not a credit to Scripture. I'm not saying he isn't a believer. I'm not saying he doesn't love the Lord. And uh, every church is built on its elders and their wives and the deacons and their wives. And God has given us godly elders and deacons and their wives, and we praise God for them. Well, all right, I'm done. Let's go to the Word of God, and let's hear what he has to say to us this morning. And... I want you to turn to Acts chapter 16. If you're smart after the service, you will go up and shake Don and Evelyn's hand and hug them because it's a privilege, you know. If Barnabas were here this morning, would you hang back and think, well, he doesn't want to talk to me? Uh Uh-uh. Barnabas was the encourager. And so you would have gone and greeted him. So greet Don and Evelyn and Jack and Deborah. They're both in the same general proximity. This is the Word of God, and it is eternally true. We'll begin with verse 19 of Acts chapter 16. You remember what's going on here that there's this uh, woman who is owned by some men, and she goes around doing palm reading and fortune telling. And uh, it has become increasingly difficult uh, for her to be around Paul and Silas and their companions. And finally, uh, The demons are cast out of her, the demons that make her able to engage in this occult activity. And then we pick up the story with verse 19, where we read, But when her masters saw that they're what? When their masters saw that they're what? That their hope of profit. Guys, look. Or the old song, Money, 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 Money. Money. You remember that? Or Pink Floyd. All right. When their masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. Ah, yes, the motherland. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stalks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. So who is the true God? What are the gods of the nations? Who made the heavens and the earth? All the gods of the nations are idols. The Lord made the heavens and the earth. Well, the immediate effect of Paul's command to the demon of this young woman, this slave girl, was released from her captivity to Satan and the demon left her. But there was another effect that followed hard on the heels of the first effect. For the men who owned this slave girl, Paul casting out her demon was a lot like the effect that you might have if you were to go down into one of the barns uh, in, in the blue fields of Kentucky and choose the, shoot the prize colt. Um, or if you were to go into the barn of a dairy farmer and shoot his highest producing cow. Um, or if you were to go down to where Jerry Clower comes from and you were to take the best coon hunting hound and shoot him. Um, this was their prize possession. They had spent money on her. She earned a good income. People were superstitious and they were willing to pay for her uh, future foretelling, fortune telling. And so once the demon was cast out of her, um, they'd, ruined, uh, uh, they'd had ruined their prized possession. And furthermore, it had been done by an upstart foreign man. And this upstart foreign man had been trumpeting a bunch of stuff about a strange foreign religion and then issued to their girl a command and then poof, just like that, it was all over. She stopped telling fortunes and their investment was totally ruined. And that's why I pointed out verse 19 when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone. Now, in the book of Acts, there are two groups of people that persecute the church. Now, one group of people were the Jews who considered themselves very religious and opposed the Christians on the basis of religious principles. We live in a day when you can't say anything about Jews without immediately having everybody sort of cringe because somebody might say something that somehow possibly might be construed as anti-Semitism. And if we were able, we would have Bibles that removed any indication, not just of the Jews opposing Jesus, but of the Jews opposing the church in the book of Acts. And it's because living in a post-Holocaust world, we don't ever want to be accused of being oppressors of Jews. And, uh, but let's notice that the conflict that's pervasive in the book of Acts is between the Jews and the Christians. And we can't rewrite that. That's in fact true. And there are ethnic aspects to life. All right? We can't get around this. We'd like to as Americans. We think that the future of our nation depends on us denying ethnicity. Um, But, for instance, the fact that I'm Caucasian means that I have to be more careful when I go to the beach than if you're black. Okay? Is anybody upset I said that? I hope not. It's just like an idiot knows it, right? All right, And we also know from Paul, and I'm hoping none of you here this morning are of this particular ethnic group, but we also know that Paul says that all Cretans are liars. Where did that come from? Well, it's a part of sacred scripture. So if you want to be an American, um, you will say Paul shouldn't have written that. But if you want to be a Christian, you'll say, well, there must be something about the character of Cretans that makes them liars, right? And if you talk to a Brit, the Brit will tell you that all Americans are brash and loud. Isn't that right, Jeremy? And you would say, I'm the perfect type, right? (laughs) <laughs> and if you talk to Americans, they would tell you that Brits are, but I won't do that because he's in a minority and it's not kind to beat up on a minority, right? <laughs> um, and so what we have here is a tension in all through the book of Acts between Jews and Christians. And what was the tension over? Well, the tension was over the issue of I mean, there's only one thing worth fighting over. What is it? Jesus Christ. The question was whether Jesus Christ was God. And the question was whether they should worship Jesus Christ. The question was whether the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament pointed forward to the cross or not. The question was whether the Messiah would be a great military political leader who would be able to get them to be independent of Rome, which is what they being idolaters wanted, because their treasure was here on earth, and they wanted a Messiah who would restore the dignity of the Jewish nation. And so they rejected the dignity of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Do you understand that? And so there's a conflict. The Jews hate the Christians. The Christians hate the Jews. Don't ever forget that it was Jewish religious leaders who killed Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm down on the Jews. I'm saying that because if the Jewish religion was the, the place that God had been pleased to reveal the nature of the Messiah, Isaiah 53 Okay, The Ethiopian eunuch, what is he reading as he travels down the road going back home? Isaiah 53. All right. If the Jews had been given the glorious foretelling of the coming of God's Son, the Messiah, obviously, when the Messiah comes, there's going to be a division between those who worship the Messiah and those who refuse. And if you want to understand Jewish history, you must look into the past to understand the present. Do you understand? Now again, there are Jews. At least one Jew here. This has nothing to do with my personal, you know, angst and like need to like badmouth ethnic groups. But my goodness, if our our our, our timidity about looking at groups—imagine if we applied this to um, to the laboratory. Well, I don't want to make any generalizations the whole basis of the scientific method is making generalizations and seeing if they pan out. So let's, let's be men and women and be willing to make generalizations about groups. It was the Jews that God gave the gift of his truth to, the law. All right? I'm not stereotyping. I'm not being unkind. It was the Jews, right? And it was the Jews who were divided Jesus brought the sword that cleaved them, and they were divided into what? Those who, who kissed the Son and worshipped Him, and those who refused Him. And to this day, it is Jesus Christ who divides the Jewish nation. Do you understand that? All right. There are those who are fully Jewish, like Bob, who have kissed the Son, who have worshipped the coming Messiah, and who look to Him for forgiveness of their sins. And there are Jews who have various other visions. Now, the conflict all through the book of Acts is between the Jews and the Christians. It's the overwhelming conflict. In other words, the tension and the fighting and the persecution of one religious group of another. But, a few places, basically two... You don't have the conflict being between the Jews and the Christian, but rather between the Gentiles and the Christian. And this is one of those places where it's the Gentiles that take the leading role. Now, what is at the center of the Gentiles' opposition to the church? Both times, the center of it is money. Both times, it's that Jesus Christ and Christians represent a threat to their livelihood. You remember the scene in Ephesus where all the books are burned? You remember that? And then here in Philippi, where we have this woman who is a profit center to her owners. Now, do you think that when they have their profit threatened, that they're honest about it and go to the magistrates and tell them forthrightly what it is that they're upset about? Now, they're not truthful. They don't say, you know... This guy, these guys, have like ruined our profit base. That's that's just a little bit too direct, you know? I mean, it's just a little embarrassing, really. Um, They don't do that. Uh, They start a ruckus. They lay hands on Paul and Silas violently, carting them off to the town mayor or the justice of the peace or the magistrate. And when they get there, notice what they say. All right. They say here we have people who are not real Romans. Uh, it, they say these men, verse twenty and twenty-one, are throwing what? They say they're throwing our city into confusion. Now you guys, that's 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 just disgusting. All they've done is lost the profit center. And now they're accusing them of throwing the city into confusion. Is the city in confusion? The city isn't confusion. As a matter of fact, what they're trying to do is throw the city into confusion. They're accusing them of doing the very thing that they are doing. All right? These men are throwing the city into confusion being Jews. Now, what's that about? Well, we are Gentiles, we are Romans, these people are Jews. And they are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. So rather than honesty, the righteous are attacked with lies. And none of us should be surprised when this happens to us. When Satan and his people try to get God's people, they rarely speak the truth. Now, there's always an element of truth. And if you look here, you see the element of truth. What's the element of truth? They are Jews. (laughs) You know, they have to plead guilty to that, right? There's an element of truth. But the whole thing is just a smear campaign. And there is no way for you to prepare for an attack because it'll be lies. It'll be something you can't predict. Notice the lies here. They're interesting because you can change only a few words in the text and they're the same arguments and accusations which people throw around today. These men are Jews. Well, anti-Jewish sentiment was strong in the Roman Empire at that time. The emperor had only recently expelled all the Jews from Rome and you can read about the expulsion in the secular history books or Acts 18 too. And so for them to begin their accusations by saying these men are Jews was sort of like saying today, um, you know, these guys are Al-Qaeda and they're some of Osama bin Laden's folks. And notice that of the four men that there were, only two of them were arrested, Paul and Silas, not Luke the Gentile and not Timothy the half Gentile. Then secondly, they said these guys are throwing our city into an uproar. And in the same way today, it's often claimed that the person standing up for truth and the person liberating the captives is the troublemaker, but that isn't true. When holiness is lived out day after day, we can be sure that the holy person will constantly be called a troublemaker. They were called Jews, and they were called troublemakers. In other words, they were being, what was being said about them is that they were not patriotic and that they didn't love the homeland. Now, how does that apply to us today? It applies so, so much. And I do spend a lot of time trying to explain to you what is coming for you as young people. And what kind of opposition you're going to face. And it is going to be opposition that you are not patriotic. And if you look at it, that's really the opposition you already face in the workplace and at the university. Christians are seen as being today uh, people that don't have a place of sufficient value on a civil society, on pluralism, on diversity, on the gods of our nation. All right, And so if there's one place more than any other, you're going to feel the tension of being a Christian. It's when people accuse you of not being tolerant. Because tolerance is the word that we use to process the idolatry of our nation. Okay, And you've got to be smart about this because what's at stake for you is whether you worship God, the true God, or whether you worship idols. That's what's at stake. I told you that Don went around from house to house. Don and the pastor and the elders would go house to house talking to people who had uh, the, the habit of showing up to be buried, to be married, and then maybe Christmas and Easter. But they were full upstanding members of the church, all right? So we began to go to them, and it took a couple years to exhort them that they needed to worship God, to be a part of the church if they were going to have their names on the roll. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and then I told you that a certain um, congregational meeting came where the showdown happened. And the showdown happened over a man who had been a Vietnam War veteran. Had he been in Vietnam? He had been in Vietnam. And as the the fight began to build, and you have warnings that it's going to come out in the congregational meeting, the annual meeting, as the fight began to build, we began to hear rumblings of this patriotic theme. You remember this? And so finally it comes to the congregational meeting, and all that's happening is that we are saying to this young man that he needs to come to worship Just once in a blue moon. You know, it's not like we're saying, unless you're here every Sunday. No, we didn't have hope for that. We just wanted to see him have some continuity between what he professed to believe and what his life showed that he believed, right? Which is the job of elders. they are supposed to do that with me and with you. And so finally the congregational meeting came. And, you know, they had gotten other people in the church to also feel sympathy for their son who was being treated so unfairly. And uh, so people started popping up and saying this, that, and the other thing. But what I remember is, and I believe, if I can remember correctly, um, I believe it was his mother that said this. I'm not sure of this, but his mother stood up, and his mother said, we'll call the man John Doe. She stood up, and and this was at the middle of the battle, and it was raging. And she stood up and she said, My son, John, (coughs) they say he's not a Christian. Well, we weren't saying he wasn't a Christian. What we were saying was that his life did not give any indication of the fruit of faith. Do you understand the difference? They say he's not a Christian, but my son, John, fought in Vietnam. How can they say he's not a Christian? The logic was impeccable. (laughs) Now, I have deep gratitude to David Crumb and to everyone who has fought for this country. It is honorable. I used to think it wasn't, and I repent. All right? However, there is a difference between being an American and being a Christian. Do you understand that? Christian and America are not the same category. The fact that a man has fought in Vietnam does not mean that he's a Christian. And you see what's going on there. To be a Christian and to be an American are the same thing. Unless, of course, you're an unpatriotic American and then you're suspect. All right. And I'll tell you the rest of the story. At the key moment, Sam Westra, who was 92 or three at the time. Do you remember which it was? and stood about six four, six five, and had a cane and wore an old zoot-suit zoot, suit zoot, where the, the, shirt, the, 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 the jacket came down to about his knees. He was a monster. And he drove a little Plymouth Om- Omni Horizon, tiny little car. <laughs> and one week, he and I both had our names in the paper at the same time. Because both of us got tickets. Now, for me, it was not nearly the first ticket, but for him, it was the first ticket he'd ever gotten in his life. It was at like 91, and he was furious. (laughs) Anyhow, Sam was sitting, and Sam never said anything. He was a quiet Dutchman. And after this battle had been raging for about an hour, Sam stood. And I mean he stood this body rose up. And right in front of him in the next pew was this family. And he started talking. And he started looking away from them. You remember this? He was speaking to the congregation. And he said, I don't know what is wrong with John. I don't know what is wrong with John. I don't know why John can't be in worship. And he began to build and build, and he had this cane in his hand. And then slowly as he talked, he began to turn until he was facing them. And as he turned, he said, maybe John, do you remember this? Maybe John has a broken leg. you remember that? <laughs> you know? And finally, he, he turned, and as I remember, he brought that cane down on the floor. Bam! Bam! But John if he is a member of this church, you remember? He said, he should be in church. And then, how did he end it? Do you remember? I just think he he ended it by saying, if he's a member of this church, he repeated it like two or three times, he should be in church. And the whole place, I was reduced to jelly. (laughs) I thought... I really thought that they were going to stand up, turn around, and punch him in the face. Because this monster's standing right over him, and he can't fight him, and I just thought they had to punch him. There was not a word. When that man got done, he sat down, and the battle was over. And I waited a few minutes, and I said, Is there further discussion? And hearing none? That was just the end of that issue. I think we had other issues. But they never came back. That church was cleansed. And that church, to this day, is a healthy, healthy, beautiful church of people that love the Lord and humble people. Well, you come back and you look at this issue of patriotism and you look at the way they're attacking And it's the same issue. I'm, I'm going to do two more things before I end. I want to make the point of how persecution will come to this country. It will be that you will be persecuted because you are viewed as being an anarchist, as being an atheist, and as being unpatriotic. Okay? But did you know that Christians, when they were killed in the Roman Empire, were killed for being anarchists and atheists? Okay? Why? Because they rejected the pantheon of gods. They would not be a part of civic religion. They said, all the gods of the nations are idols. The Lord made the heavens of the earth. They said in the Areopagus, in the past God has overlooked such ignorance, but now he demands that all people everywhere repent. And the whole context were all the idols on all the street corners of Athens consistently they rejected pluralism, diversity, inclusivity, and tolerance. They loved the people that they rejected this with, but they rejected it. And so they were killed for anarchy and for atheism. Atheism! And this is what you will be persecuted for. When you will not submit to the diversity and pluralism and tolerance, when you speak lovingly to people caught in sexual sin and call them from it. You will be accused of not worshipping our nation's gods. Do you understand this? And this is what your children will be attacked for. And so you have to prepare them for it. Alright? You have to realize tolerance is an idol. It is a god. And you have to oppose it as such. Now, the second thing I want to show you is the reaction of the Christians. What did they do? They were beaten. This is one of the three times we read of the Apostle Paul receiving the lashes, and it was brutal. You read the accounts of sailing vessels and captains that have to use the lash on their men, and it's an awful thing. This is the third, one of the three times that the Apostle Paul has this. And when they get done being beaten, being lashed, and they're put in prison, what do they do? How, how is it that we as Christians testify to the Lord? What is our best testimony? Did you note what the other prisoners were doing? They were listening to them. What is our best testimony? Is our best testimony when we say that homosexuality is a sin that God hates and that we must not give in to it? Don't ever think that you can get away without saying that. You have to say that. But is that our best testimony? Our best testimony is a heart that's filled with love for Jesus Christ and that just pours it out. I don't want to make opposition between God's yes and God's no, but I do want to say that night in that prison, it was not God's no that seduced everyone. It was God's yes. It was them seeing men who had had the lashes and were now in prison for doing nothing because, you know, the people always know the real score, you know. And there they were singing praises to God. Now, application. And David will shoot me. Don't shoot me. All right? Application. Number one Are you demon possessed? Are you demon possessed? And if you are, do you want the demons to be cast out of you? You say, Ooh. I didn't think that was going to be in an application. (laughs) But I have to say this because I believe that there are many people in our culture and many people in the church who are actually possessed by the spirit of our age, demons. And the way that these things are cast out is through the power of God in prayer. And when you're fighting something that irrationally has control of you, and and I will say that when I came back to the Lord, I'm convinced that because of drug use, but particularly because of music, all right? And go to Plato if you want to understand this. I believe that I had evil spirits. And I went to my elders and I asked them to lay hands on me and pray for me. Because I couldn't pray without evil images being in my brain. So I am convinced that I had evil spirits taken out of me. And I believe some of you have evil spirits because of where you grew up, because of your childhood, because of your parents. Some of you are, are possessed by the spirit of the age. And I'm not going to get more specific than that, but I'm going to say, can you imagine how perverse it would have been if this young woman had turned and had said, get away from me, I'm a prophet center. You know, you know. I'm a liberated woman. I've taken my destiny in my hands. Think of the profit I'm producing for these men. I am a fully evolved and integrated woman. You know, think of the feminist saying that Eve took her destiny in her hands. This is, this is demonic. And we have to rid ourselves of the spirit of the age. And if you've been seduced and you're a profit center and you spout maybe not here, but other places, or you have friends, you need to pray for them that God will deliver them from the spirit of the age and from demons. Don't ever think, for instance, that music is not powerful in seducing you to the evil one. All right, so are you, are friends possessed by the spirit of the age or really by demons? You need to pray, and you need to have the elders pray and their wives for you. The second application is you need to prepare your children and yourself to be persecuted because you are unpatriotic, because you aren't not tolerant, because you don't follow along the lines of inclusivism. And if you have been paying deference to the God of tolerance, to the God of pluralism in your job place and in your classroom and at the place where you work, uh, I, I demand in the name of the living God that you repent. This is not the testimony that God has called you to give. He has called you not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you are to speak up. Sometimes it'll be winsome, sometimes it'll be, it'll be ugly. You know, blood caked on the wall incommoding the passers-by. You know, but be bloody and winsome, whichever is the tool that's needed at the time, but do not worship the God of this age. Think how bored the university is, really. Wouldn't it be just like interesting for them to have a real Christian there? An exotic species? But do it because you love Jesus Christ. And third, when you suffer, particularly when you suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, you are to do what? You are to sing praises to the Lord, and the pagans are going to watch you. And they'll see you in adversity whether a spirit of worship and trust comes out of you and that will be a powerful witness let's pray father we thank you.